Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Miesler, and this show provides content curation as a service with a focus on the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, and each episode is either a curated summary of what I've discovered in the past week or a standalone essay that hopefully gives you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 173. Security news first here. Amazon has many thousands of people doing quality control on Alexa, meaning that they're listening to incoming audio captured on Echo devices. And that's, I think, tens of millions of Echo devices. To me, this shouldn't be surprising. The question is how they're doing it and what policies they have around privacy when doing so. I don't personally see a major problem here, but at the same time, I'd never put a Facebook device in my home. So to me, it's more about the company and its incentives than anything else. You have to trust the company that you're putting a device owned by them into your house. And if you don't, then, you know, you shouldn't have it there. A number of FBI-affiliated websites were hacked, and information on thousands of federal agents and law enforcement officers are now being sold online. Chinese schools are using facial recognition on students and using machine learning to determine whether or not they're currently paying attention, distracted, or, you know, what other kind of state that they're in. I'm really torn on this kind of stuff because I think it's super cool, but I hate the way it's being used. And I, and I really worry that, you know, the, the trend seems to be moving towards the dystopian use of this type of thing, like the Orwellian use, as opposed to like a, a Star Trek type of use. Um, so I, I just love machine learning. I love sort of the, the ability to monitor and learn and, and extract insights from observation and basically use that to enhance people's lives. But at the same time, you know, that requires moral judgment that requires moral, you know, clarity. And it requires that the goal of this technology is not only to make money, but also to help people. Um, and, and that the economic incentives will not override the positives in order to achieve the negatives. So, uh, when I hear what China is doing with machine learning and data science and stuff like that, it, it, it frightens me a bit. Um, and as far as the U S I, I simultaneously see the move to machine learning and big data and the loss of privacy in some sense to be inevitable. But at the same time, I think it's possible to do privacy well even if you're giving tons and tons of data and tons of insights about yourself, if we can find a way to have companies like the big companies um, place a priority that incentivizes their, their business on doing privacy well, right? You have to align the, the interests of the business with the interests of the customers. And that, that is the trick that we need to pull in order to have the privacy thing not be just a horrible, horrible mess. And right now you find the companies where those incentives are misaligned and that's where most of the drama is. And going back to the previous story, 
those companies are the ones who I would not put a device owned by them into uh, my house. SIFT is a service that builds a risk profile on you. So merchants can determine whether you're a benign actor or someone about to commit fraud. I think people, this is kind of similar to the previous thing. I think people need to accept that continuous risk scoring for people in situations is both inevitable and actually already happening. The moment you try to block bad actors by looking at their behavior, right? You quickly end up with a score that determines what their current state of badness is, right? And based on various thresholds, you make decisions. Can, can, are you stopping them? Are you shadow banning them? Are you locking their account? Whatever. And the moment you do this for bad actors, you're kind of also doing it implicitly for the good actors as well, right? If you're labeling something bad, then it's not good and vice versa. Um, so there are better and worse ways to approach this, but profile scoring is not something we're going to be able to avoid going forward. I think we should accept this reality and start having conversations around how to make and keep this functionality as benign as possible. Got a story here of a Dutch F-16 that was damaged by 20 millimeter cannon rounds. The cool part of the story is that it was its own 20 millimeter cannon rounds. So this is an airplane flying with a cannon on it. It fires bullets and then flies so fast, caught up to the bullets and they damaged the aircraft. Um, but they were able to land and I think everything was fine. But I think life is awesome when you can fly into your own bullets. Advisories, SAP Crystal Reports, Adobe, and Juniper Switches. Technology news. Biggest news from Google's cloud conference uh, last week was the launch of Google Anthos, which unifies your on-prem and cloud container management to a single platform. So it's like one substrate for Kubernetes. This is my understanding. I didn't look deeply into it. It's like Kubernetes, but with a substrate that crosses both your internal on-prem stuff and the cloud. So you could just like move your containers around and, and have redundancy across both environments. Uh, someone commented, well, probably a lot of people commented that, you know, this is still a single point of failure with Google. Well, sure. The, the next level is something like this that is cross-platform. I mean, I've talked to so many companies and they're looking at that sort of thing where it's like you have a text-based config and that text-based con config can shoot boxes out and infrastructure out and balance it across all three cloud environments. So uh, you combine that with your on-prem stuff as well, and, and now you're there. So uh, I think that combined with, I guess, serverless would be kind of getting close to like the, the ultimate uh, Super Saiyan form of all this conversation. Disney is launching Disney Plus in November, which will cost $6.99 a month. At the time of writing, the stock was up 11% on this news. So I, I think they're going to do some serious damage to Netflix. I don't see how that won't happen. Like all the Disney stuff. And if you think about Disney, that, that is so much right now. It, not only is it like the Disney proper stuff, like 
you know, princesses and stuff like that. But it's also, um, you know, Marvel and Star Wars and uh, probably a bunch of other stuff. I can't remember, but Marvel and Star Wars by itself, plus all the Disney proper stuff, you know, the, the kid stuff is just amazing. And that, that combination of stuff is just incredible. So I, I think it's going to make a ton of money. Six ninety nine sounds really approachable, especially since you're going to need like five different subscriptions at this point, because the universe is breaking up into pieces again. And of course, um, theft of content is going up because of that. But, um, I think Disney is really well positioned here. And uh, of course they're going against, uh, Amazon as well, but Netflix is still the big player. Walmart is adding around 4,000 new robots to stores across the U S they're meant to do quote and unquote repeatable and predictable tasks including shelf scanners, floor cleaners, picking things up, unloading things and sorting things. Uh, maybe it's just me, but those all seem like jobs that humans currently have. This is exactly why I'm into the Andrew Yang thing. It's just like, what are we going to do about this, uh, automation piece? It's going to be nasty faster than most people think. You can now edit Microsoft office files using Google apps. So like docs, sheets, and slides all correspond to their, uh, their, uh, analogs in the Microsoft world, which I thought that was a feature they had before. I was disappointed when they didn't have it. So now I'm undisappointed that they have it now. Human news, Peter Tiemann or Timon is an economist at MIT. And he says that the U S has slipped into developing nation status because 80% of the population is burdened with debt and is anxious about job security. He basically breaks it down as 80% of the, of the population is suffering, you know, like no savings, no retirement, really worried about their jobs, just getting crushed in the, uh, if they have a job, they're just getting crushed by it because they're not making much and their hours are unpredictable. This is not all in there, but he's basically saying, uh, this is the bottom 80%. And, uh, this sort of corresponds with like dozens of other books I've, I've read about this exact thing. It's like the bottom is getting crushed. The question is, what is the bottom? Is it the bottom 50? Is it the bottom 60? Is it the bottom 80, 90, 100, whatever? Well, not 100, but like 95 um, or 99. Some people say it's 99 in the top 1%. I like this number of 80-20. Um, one, it's kind of natural because of that that uh, law. It's not Parkinson's law. It's, um, anyway, one of those laws, uh, the 80-20 rule. And uh, basically, I, I also kind of use 90-10 a lot. Um but it, it's hard to say exactly where that line is, right? Because for each different metric, the line is in a different place. So it's really just a rule of thumb. But anyway, he uses the 80-20. And it's like the 20% have lots of job opportunities. They have lots of education. They have mobility, um, you know, some sort of savings and, and uh, retirement options. I, I think that number is going to be shrinking. This is something I've written about in the past. And a lot of the books that I read, uh, talk about this, but, um, 
as the Gini index continues to expand in the country, I think that number gets smaller. So by some measures, it might be like 20, 25% right now with like 80 to 75% suffering. But like I said, it all depends on how you count everything. Um, I think you could make an argument that it's the top 10% and the bottom 90%. But again, it just depends where you, uh, where you draw lines. Gum bacteria is being called out repeatedly for potentially causing Alzheimer's and other diseases. And I uh, got another link to a study here that's backing that up again. Bank of America is raising its minimum wage for employees at $20 an hour. Uh, what qualifies as middle income in each state? This is a cool website. It's called Statistica, I think. And a uh, pretty cool visual breakdown here. Ideas, trends, and analysis. Abusability testing. This was my favorite talk at Enigma 2019. It's about how we have to think about large-scale systems and how they can be abused, not just by technical vulnerabilities within those systems, but more like adversarial economics than penetration testing. Actually, I wrote that for the newsletter, which I'm reading now. Um, and uh, adversarial economics, I thought that was a cool idea um, or name. Hopefully, I didn't hear it from someone. I think I just made it up, but it sounded cool. Uh, and I tweeted out about it. A couple of people liked it. Most people were like, what the hell is he talking about? Pitching your product will kill fundraising because they need to know why you exist more than anything. So this is pretty cool analysis on a bunch of pitch decks. Most of the pitch decks, and I tweeted, uh, or not tweeted, but I put it in a previous newsletter like the coolest thing that makes a, a presentation really powerful, especially for a sales presentation around a startup is like describing a reality in the world that most people don't know and, and be like, look, this is a truth about the world that we know that other people don't. And that's why you should listen. Right. And then you, and then of course, later on, you're describing why you have a solution or what you're going to do as a result of having that insight. So that is, um, that's a super cool distinction. You don't just come out the gate with like your product, right? Because people just tune out. So uh, that was pretty cool analysis. The future of news is conversation with small groups that have trusted voices. I think this is absolutely correct. Um, I've, I think I've talked about this a few, few times or, or written about it or whatever, but I, I think it really comes down to having that trusted group. The problem is what if that trusted group is Alex Jones and, you know, anti-vaxxers and uh, whatever conspiracy theorists. Um, well, do you still have your small conversations and you still have your trusted voices, but they're wrong. Uh, so I, I think there's uh, there's still possibility for, danger in this situation. In fact, social media can largely be, can perhaps be considered just like the uh, exponential growth of this exact type of situation where you have exposure to everyone else that is biased in the exact same way that you are. So you have a whole bunch of small groups and they're all crazy. They just happen to be crazy the way I am or the crazy the way you are. Um, so maybe we haven't gained that much by doing that. Discovery, the world's 7.5 billion people in one chart, a maturity model for use of the MITRE attack framework. 
uh, two new fonts. This was exciting for me. Public Sans and Helvetica Now. I, I thought I was going to go and download Helvetica Now. It's Helvetica. You, you'd think, figure it would be free. But anyway, it's first update of Helvetica in like 35 years. And um, evidently it's not free, which means I didn't download it which means I'm going to keep disrespecting it the way I have Helvetica for so long. Uh, unclassified U2 spy plane photographs are revealing some extraordinary archaeological findings. So it's like 1959, here's a view of Syria or whatever. That was one example I saw. But imagine the, the really high-resolution black-and-white photos showing the current state of the world you know, so far, uh, long ago, I, I think is uh, super cool. Bloodhound password analysis. Bloodhound is a security, uh, piece of security software for active directory. And they did some analysis on passwords and provable security at AWS. Uh, my other favorite talk at Enigma this year. Notes. Uh, so it's crazy. I've actually been doing this show for four years a little over four years. I started, I think in January of 2015 and podcasting is basically entering the mainstream. Now I really love how much content is out there. I keep tweaking like the pitch for this show in the podcast description to try and differentiate it from other stuff out there. In my mind, risky business is the best security news show. Um, I also really love his sponsored things. It's like vendor discovery, curated vendor discovery. Um, I like my mix of stories better, my mix of security stories, because I'm, I'm getting like unique ones and not just pure, like brute force news. But I like that Patrick has the format to go a bit deeper on each one, right? Because I'm trying to do, uh, you know, light touch just for discovery. Whereas he uh, gets his buddy, either Alex or um, Adam on, and they, uh, they usually do about five to 10 sentences, uh, sometimes even a few paragraphs of content on each story, which I, I, li I like the mix. It, it's, it's a good amount of depth and, and the analysis is always spot on. Um, and plus they add a little bit of, uh, Australian humor at the same time. Uh, Darknet Diaries is a must for anyone who likes story-based podcasts. It's very different than mine. It's it's very different than Patrick's. But it's more like Serial was, if you ever listened to that on PBS. Um, it's quite different. It's a, it's like, um, yeah, it's just really riveting stories. Like you, you can't stop listening. And it's, the production is so great. It sounds like the equal level of production to like a PBS episode, like a PBS podcast. It's so, so excellent. Um, and of course this show is quite different. It is, this show is basically a curation lens of what's happening in the world around security technology and people like a way to pass on. Like I, I feel kind of wasted if I spend so much time reading so much time learning and I don't pass it on. It just feels like I only got 50% of the benefit because I'm not sharing it. Right. So it's a way to pass on what I find and learn from all the reading that I do. And I think th that harvesting feature is key. Um, and I want to find a way to make this more obvious 
uh, to people who listen. Um, like if you want to, I don't know if you have any ideas, but, but I would appreciate sharing it out. If, if you get value from the newsletter or for the podcast, just let people know. Um, and if you have any ideas on how to improve it, I'd love to listen to those as well. So I've changed the subscription option at the bottom of the newsletter to just the $50 a year option since, uh, and then I gave like an other option, but not having two, uh, not having two or three choices. It, it just seems, uh, like I'm outsourcing, uh, you know, work to you to figure out which one's better. I think the 50 year option, like 80% are choosing that anyway. Um, also considering do a member version of the free newsletter, which would not have a call to subscribe at the bottom would just be way even cleaner than already is. Not sure if that would matter. If, if uh, you have an opinion, let me know. And these are the books <clears throat> that I've just finished or I'm about to start reading. <clears throat> like um, <clears throat> within the last month or two. So white shift, which was about like middle-class, like uh, populism type stuff. Uh, the vanishing middle class loon shots, which is about like the difference between crazy ideas and really good ideas and like how to nurture really crazy ideas and turn them into something amazing. Uh, from Cold War to Hot Peace, which uh, my friend Sasha recommended. Discrimination and Disparities, which is by Tom Sowell. The Tyranny of Metrics. The Demon Haunted World. Uh, Bowling Alone and the right side of history and the age of surveillance. Oh, that's actually supposed to say the age of surveillance capitalism. Sad face. Um, so yeah, I've been reading like crazy and the book has the most, uh, impact that has like the most impact on me, like in the last couple of months has been this book, uh, bowling alone, which combined with reading a couple of books by conservatives by Saul and Shapiro, it's got me thinking a lot of like, about like the lack of meaning in people's lives. I have a lot to say about this. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and I'm even trying to build a, a plan and like a system or a framework for, for dealing with it. So uh, ping me if you want to chat about that. And uh, I'm also considering trying to get each section in the newsletter down to five items, not like a hard rule, um, and it wouldn't apply to the security section because that sometimes goes longer, but at five items per section. And there's like five sections. I, I think that would get the number of links down. Uh, so it, it would force me to cure curate even more, but I think it would reduce the load on, on, uh, you. So let, let me know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, recommendation for this week, loon shots how to nurture the crazy ideas that win wars, cure diseases and transform industries. And the aphorism for this week, the more we do, the more we can do. The more we do, the more we can do. William Hazlitt. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of unsupervised learning. And don't forget that the show is both a podcast and a newsletter. So you can get more information about everything you just heard by subscribing to the newsletter or reading the blog posts for each episode. Also keep in mind that I do the show weekly, but if you're not a member, you're currently only getting every other odd numbered episode. 
And if you want to get every episode of the podcast and newsletter, you can become a member at danielmiesler.com slash subscribe for less than a latte per month. Being a member will also get you access to the subscriber area of the site, which is the home for all previous member episodes, as well as other types of premium and experimental content. We'll see you next time. Thank you.